All right, guys, if you missed out on Freight Fest 2023, I feel for you. I know you're punching air. However, Freight Fest 2024 is going to come sooner than you think. Right now, go to www.freightfest.com. Early bird tickets are available. Listen, we're already planning for next year. It's going to be crazy. We are already lining up the speakers. Uh, make sure you stay tapped in with us for all the updates, but get your early bird tickets right now for Freight Fest 2024, happening on September 26th through the 29th at the Royal Sinesta Galleria Hotel in Houston, Texas. All right. Go to www.freightfest.com for more updates. I can't wait to see y'all there. Let's go. What's up, y'all? This is Ramel Watley, and welcome to Truck and Hustle, the podcast for trucking entrepreneurs. If you want to learn about the trucking industry from the business side of things, you're in the right place. Every week, I interview the people who are making it happen on a daily basis. I get them to share their successes, their failures, and sometimes even their secrets. The goal is to show you how you too can create financial freedom in the booming trucking industry. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So what may have been true last year may have changed this year. And so always saying, you know, you know, what does your fleet look like? Or how big is your warehouse? How many dock doors do you have? Um, what's your ideal client? And we make notes on all that. And so when opportunities come, come our way, because, you know, we've got the sales engine that creates a lot of opportunities, we can kind of sit down, have a huddle and kind of go through our, our database and think, okay, who are the guys that this fits for? Turn my mic up. Take there, yeah, yeah, uh, on the road to the riches, life takes a toll like bridges, good friends become foes and snitches, better watch who knows in your business. All right, all right, Hustle Fam, Hustle Fam, we are back with another amazing episode. Episode, man, I'm tongue tied today, and uh, we are recording live from. Is this Brentwood, California? Mike? Uh, you know, Something it's like it's Los Angeles, but we are in the uh, Brentwood area. Brentwood area. Okay, so I hear that Brentwood is famous for many things, but um, you know, we won't get into that. Understood. <laughs> we'll leave that alone. We'll let you guys, you know, figure that out at home. Uh, we're <laughs> we're here at the offices of Xpac Logistics with uh, Chairman and CEO, Mr. Michael Krause. Michael, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. For sure, man. We've been uh, this has been a long time in the making. We've been trying to get this done for a while, so we finally made it out, and I'm I'm very happy to be here. So um, thank you for the hospitality. Um, all right, so l- let's let's get into it, uh, Michael. Xpac Xpac Logistics. Um, tell me what you guys do. Xpac Logistics uh, has been around in one form or another for for over fifty years. We've got two core services today. One is our pool distribution business, which we do nationwide principally serving big retailers just to oversimplify. Um, we basically run milk runs. So think of it, we go to the same places at, at the same times on the same days on a recurring scheduled service. So we restock a bunch of pharmacies, we restock some retailers, uh, et cetera. Um, and then we have a second service line, which is our warehousing and fulfillment business, which is pretty much exactly what you'd expect, uh, mostly small, medium businesses in that regard. Uh, where we are managing uh, the distribution, uh, the storage distribution of their product from the time it usually arrives from overseas uh, to the end customer. Talk to me about how you got into this space. So a little bit about your background, your education, and how did you get into logistics? Yeah, it it was a a windy road. This was not a a direct dial uh, into this space. Um, I was very lucky in the early part of my career uh, out of college. uh, I got hired uh, in a family office to do private equity um, and again, just very lucky was at the right place at the right time. And through that uh, role, did a couple roll-ups in the printing industry. And so we did one in the late 90s uh, that we uh, did a bunch of acquisitions, maybe 30 acquisitions, rolled it up, and ultimately sold it in 1999, right when the internet was you know, really coming about and, and, and having an adverse impact on the print industry. It was you know, print, we used to say when I got into this business in the mid-90s, it was kind of, you know, this would, you know, grow at three to five percent like clockwork, year in, year out, great cash flow business. But by 1999, everyone was looking at digital alternatives um, and there was a lot of pressure uh, on the industry for the first time. And it was, you know, the, the, the overall industry was starting to shrink. And so our team said, we, let's go do another deal, do the same kind of thing. 
in anything but print. So sure enough, a year later, we did another print deal. Murphy's Law. Um, And we we came across, it was a public company that was, uh, you know, grossly mismanaged in our opinion. And so while we had concerns about the top line over a long period of time, we thought operationally we could fix the business and it would be a good investment. And so we did that. We actually hired a, you know, kind of a CEO for hire who came in and really cleaned the place up. Um, And then... um, my partner and I, uh, my partner who, who was the CEO, uh, and I was kind of the deal guy on the team, the strategy guy, um, decided to use that as a platform to do some acquisitions again and, and rolled it up uh, to a pretty sizable company. I think at its peak, it was about $12 billion of revenue. Um, and this is now in the kind of 2005, six time period. And admittedly, I was kind of done with print. I felt like we were we were doing these acquisitions and, and creating a lot of synergies and growing, you know, our earnings per share and getting some, uh, you know, appreciation of the stock price, but felt that there was enough pressure in the in the industry that that the digital pressures and other things were going to keep uh, pushing on it. And so I was kind of thinking about doing something else. But within the organization, we had about a billion dollars of logistics revenue that mostly served our own print. So if you think about you know, delivering those magazines, catalogs, direct mail into the postal system. And so we had a nationwide logistics business that did that for ourselves and others. And we also had a parcel logistics business that the predecessors of the company had bought. And so for about two years, that business rolled up and reported to me. And so I got familiar with the space and I thought it was actually a pretty good business. It wasn't a good fit because it was kind of a, a stepchild within the large print organization but I was really intrigued by the business. So I ended up leaving that company in 2007 and went back into private equity for a few years uh, and, and realized I actually missed the building of the business. You know, you know, private at least the private equity firm I was at, um, you know, very smart guys, very capable, but we were uh, more financial engineers, in my opinion, than, uh, than building businesses. And I realized I missed that. I just didn't really want to do in the print space so I started looking around for a company that I thought I could bring some value to and build. And, and so this was back in 2012. Uh, I came across Expac Logistics that was for sale okay. uh, and turned out the owner of the business lived right down the street. Uh, so we went and had lunch and over about a, a year of what I'd call dating, uh, <laughs> we got to know each other. Uh, and at one point he said, look, I... I've concluded I, I don't really dislike my business. I just don't want to run it anymore. And so we basically put a deal together where I said, look, I, I, I kind of want to run it. I want to you know, own a big chunk of it. And so we recapped the business and, and thought, uh, kind of similar to that printing company once upon a time, I thought he had a business that um, you know, had a lot of operating flaws. And so I thought a lot of those same techniques that we did in the print space, I could do to this business just to clean up the organization and kind of align strategy and, and you know, yeah, kind of implement things like culture and mission, which admittedly as a private equity guy, weren't always top of my list of things to look for. Mm-hmm. But uh, as a business owner, entrepreneur, um, I view those things as critical to getting everyone to row in the same direction. And so... That's the long-winded story of how I got into this business. Yeah, at, at that time, what was the bi- the business model of XPAC? Was it similar to what you got, you're still doing? No, it was actually a little a little bit different. Similar, but a little different. We were still doing business to business, kind of um, white label, you know, unmarked vehicles uh, delivery. Still doing those kind of milk runs, but at the time, uh, we were asset based in the Western U.S. and non asset based called in the eastern U.S., east of the Mississippi, where we had clients here in the western U.S. We didn't have the assets out there, so we'd subcontract it to a third-party uh, um, you know, 3PL or delivery company or whatever it might be. Um, so that business, <clears throat> we like that business. And, and I guess the real kind of short story is um, in the first few years running this business, we found that we were spending an extraordinary amount of time on the administrative aspects of managing drivers, uh, hourly employees, risk management, insurance, uh, you know, uh, vehicle accidents, you know, uh, you know, uh, all the things that, you know, particularly in California, where, where the bulk of our assets were. And there was just a point where our kind of core team sat down one day, and we were running seven days a week. And we just said, we're not spending any time forward thinking, we're not spending any time improving our technology. 
our customer service is hit and miss. And we said, you know, do we just want to be another guy with assets or do we want to try to differentiate the business? And so we made a conscious choice kind of in the, it, this really kind of migrated kind of 2016 into 2017 that we were going to get out of the asset business um, and really focus on technology, customer service, and kind of leverage that model we had in the Eastern United States, which we thought worked really well, um, and, and do that throughout the country. And so that's where we are today. How does that work when you have all these assets and you're ready to, like, I guess, dissolve that side of the business? Like, how do you get rid of that equipment and, and all that? How's that uh, <laughs> Through, you know, I'd say a lot of grinding. Um, <laughs> you know, in some regions, we actually sold um, you know, if we had a you know facility and a handful of accounts, and you know maybe we had a competitor in that region, we we'd call up the competitor and say, hey, do you want to buy this business from us? We're going to keep these these couple accounts. We're going to give you these accounts. You'll take over the vehicles, the drivers, uh, you know, the warehouse, and um, you know you'll run the business that we're keeping for us, and we'll pay you. Okay. And so maybe it's a combination of of them paying for part of the business, and then them kind of taking it over and, and, and we became a client. So we did that in a lot of areas. Uh, in a couple of areas, uh, we took the, you know, the general manager and the manager of that facility, um, maybe help them kind of incorporate their own business and they basically took it over um, and whether they would pay us off or we kept the clients and they just ran it and so we became a client of theirs. Um, so it was a combination of transactions like that that took about a year uh, to get that done. And, and in some cases, we walked away from some business and just, you know, said to competitors, hey, if you're going to take this business for us, why don't you hire our drivers or our warehouse workers? Um, you know, they know what they're doing. They're running these routes. And that way, you don't have to, you know, kind of retrain and it can be a smooth transition. So it was kind of a win-win many times for everybody. Got it. How large was the asset side, like in terms of like equipment and so forth? When we had, I, I want to say, if I recall, I think we had 16 locations in the Western U.S. from Washington down to California, as far east as Texas and through the Rockies, okay. um, and some hundreds of vehicles, you know, mostly, although, frankly, at the time, in some states, again, tougher in California, but in Nevada, we might have a driver that brings their own truck okay. and had an independent contractor where those issues aren't as, uh, you know, uh, difficult to deal with. Yeah. So in terms of total vehicles, probably some hundreds, those that were actually ours, probably 250 or something like that. Got it. Talk to me about some of those, uh, I guess those inefficiencies that you that you saw early that and, and the things you were trying to change. You talk about you wanted to not be a traditional, just like have assets to have assets. Like what were some of those things that you were looking to change in the industry? Um, with you with XPAC or, or okay. So like, like, why did you want to move away from that model? Why was it important to you to, I guess, be more Got of a it. service provider? Got it. Right, and, and, and do that. And um, you know, I, I guess I, I tell a story um, that happened. Uh, I tell this to prospective customers a lot, a, a story that happened maybe six, 12 months into my tenure at XPAC that got me thinking where one of our salespeople came to me, you know, late in the afternoon and says, hey, uh, you know, we've got a client that's really upset. We've got this pharmacy just called. They didn't get their delivery. You know, it's well past the deadline. They want to know where it is. Um, and I was like, all right, well, let, let's go figure it out. Yeah. So he sends an email to the client. This happened to be a region where we had a subcontractor. Um, copies, you know, half a dozen people from the subcontractor um, and sends a kind of a scathing email saying, Hey guys, you lost these totes with these pharmaceutical products. Like you better find them. I'm copying our client. Figure it out. And I see this email. And I go, what the, what the heck are you doing? And he goes, what do you mean? He's like, I'm fixing the problem. I said, y you know, you know, you're connecting our client with the subs. You're blaming them. The client didn't hire them. They hired us. That's right. So when you're blaming them, you know, we just look foolish. You know, we need to be accountable for this. So anyway, fast forward, call it 24 hours, and the same salesperson, you know, calls me back, and he's kind of giggling and in a jovial mood, and I'm like, hey, what's up? And he's like, hey, I've got great news. He goes, we didn't lose that delivery. I go, oh, what happened? He goes, well, actually, you know, it turns out we don't deliver to that store yesterday. We deliver today, so it got there as it normally should. It was just they, the store was wrong. They had their schedule incorrect. Mm. And I said, this is good news? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. I go, 
well, don't we know what the schedule is? Yeah. And he goes, well, if you know, we want to know the schedule, we usually just can check at our, our vendor's invoice. I said, well, what if they have it wrong? And he goes, well, it's fine. I said, and I said to him, I said, why do we exist? <laughs> right. What what value are we bringing to this? And right. so that was really the catalyst where I said, you know, if we're not bringing value to these clients, we shouldn't be here. I said, we really need to think. And so we kind of brought the team together and thought, okay, you know, we've got this at this time kind of growing network of subcontractors. And we kind of knew, you know, these guys in Tennessee are really good at this and have this kind of fleet and this kind of coverage and can handle, you know, we know what capacity they have. So we know if we can put deliveries on their vehicles, we can get great rates because it marries well with other stuff. And, and you know, kind of all throughout the country, we had that value. And and we kind of said, what do we need to do? And so at that point, and we used to do this in Microsoft Excel. Now we have a whole technology package that does this. But we started building account by account schedules. You know, you know, here, here are the days we deliver, the prices. And I mean, this was these were live files that we were updating weekly. And it took months to kind of figure this out. And, and we started, we took customer service away from the salespeople because, you know, this was an example of someone who spent 24 hours not selling because he was chasing down a few missing totes that weren't missing. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we, we centralized customer service, uh, hired a couple people. Um, we um, ended up finding an off-the-shelf software package that it was kind of a CRM package for ma uh, managing kind of customer service inquiries. We customized it and kind of started down this path that we said, look, we're going we're gonna to make sure that we know what's going on, that clients hire us because they want someone to manage this. You know, I realized pretty early on in this business that, you know, you know different from when you or I order something on Amazon and maybe we refresh to see where it is because we're excited for our new shiny toy. Right. Our clients don't think like that at all. They expect that things will just get there on time and the only time we hear from them is when something goes wrong. So we need to reshape our infrastructure to really be focused on making sure we had all the information in front of us to, to manage the work, have the transparency and visibility on behalf of our clients. Mm -hmm. So when clients come to us, they're really saying, hey, we're delivering to these 100 locations or whatever it is. This is what time the freight's ready. This is what time you have to get it delivered. You know, obviously we need to be there on price and I'll emphasize that all day long. Right. You know, all the service and all the things we do only matter when we're in the ball game on price. Um, but they're like, you know, okay, you got the right price. Make it happen. We don't want to change. So unless you're screwing this up, you're, you're good. Um, and so that was really uh, kind of the, the, the genesis of, of our kind of core competencies where we really just doubled down on um, building this customer service platform and also, uh, you know, building technology integrations with all these players. So when we get data back, whether it's, you know, uh, whether it's a subcontractor using CXT or data, uh, data track or, or accelerator, all these different TMS systems that are common in our space, you know, we're, we're consolidating that all and have kind of clear transparency and visibility of what's happening. Um, and so a client can come to us and, and, you know, kind of have a one-stop shop for this service yeah nah, i love that great answer and, and great story i like how you kind of explain that whole journey and how you got yeah. to here what what have been some of the changes that have happened in the in the 3pl space over the last three to five years as we know it's been very volatile in the industry what are, what have you been experiencing and what have you been seeing it's been crazy it's been <laughs> it's to say been the least nuts uh and you know in some cases we got you know on top of that wave and rode it in other cases it crashed right on top of us yeah. um it's been really crazy. I mean, I think the obviously COVID hit, and and I think the the supply chain surge combined with called inflation um, was great in many ways, but but caused a bunch of issues. And, and I think the biggest thing was you know that surge came, so you had capacity coming down and inflation going up. So so that hits us kind of if you think about our two businesses on the on the distribution, the pool distribution side. You know, we used to have in almost every market, you know, we'd have our, our, our drivers, our dedicated drivers running these routes for us. And then we'd have, you know, in every hub and every market, we'd probably have some number, maybe it was two, maybe it was four um, backup drivers available. So if someone called out sick, you know, you just plug another one in and right. they'd go run. All of a sudden, uh, you know, that goes away. <laughs> you know, those people aren't there, you know, whether it's, Amazon, whether it's Postmates or whatever, you know, Uber, you know, these people are making a lot more money 
um, doing other things and the demand for these drivers um, and the rates they're paying go up and, and, and the vast majority of our rates with clients are contractual rates so you know we'll be like hey we're going to do this this stop for 20 bucks a stop and that's the price for the next year if not longer um, and so if that if we're getting paid 20 and we can pay the driver 12 or whatever the number is you know all of a sudden they can go get 15 a stop you know they're out the door in a second they don't that, that it is what it is and so all of a sudden the the ability to retain people uh, became extremely challenging um, and you know backup drivers you know were non-existent and so um, we really in a lot of markets you know had to just pay um, what was necessary to have driver consistency because if you also think about those drivers they're the ones that are physically interacting with our clients right. you know we aren't day-to-day -day. you know we'll go we'll go visit them you know every quarter or do whatever we do and and, and all that but the drivers are the one that are showing up at at the pharmacy. They're showing up at the retailer location, dealing with that store personnel, and so if we're not taking care of our drivers, uh, that's a reflection on us. And yeah. so that was a big deal for us. And so we had lots of calls, being like, "Hey guys, we need more money." Um, and the truth was, back in kind of it was probably more 2021. I think 2020 was a little more of a standstill year. Um, I don't want to say we were just handing out cash, but if there was a, a logical, thoughtful approach um, from our from our partners on that, we we pretty much just paid because uh, we knew that if we don't take care of that lifeblood of our organization, it's not going to happen. So, but that was you know a real issue just to keep the trains running on time. As I say again, we don't we don't run on on trains. So it's right. it's it's mostly uh, vans and trucks. But uh, um, that was the biggest issue, and, and it was just a lot of time and energy spent kind of keeping things moving consistently and spending money and you know we we've fortunate to have really long-term relationships with a lot of our clients and so that's always a a delicate balancing act you know again going back to the the early days 2012 13 14 where you know if we got a price increase from a vendor you know i saw salespeople they would just call up the client two seconds later hey we got a three percent price increase you get a three percent price increase and it went back to that like why are we even here if we're just you know playing telephone with these people we need to manage it and so through this process we just ate a lot of that and said you know we know that at the end of the year when clients are doing their budgets and we and they have time to prepare we'll walk them through this and if the service is there they'll pay us you know if, if we can point out hey cpi nine percent right. we'll get that money and so we took a little bit of a leap of faith that let's focus on service taking care of our people and the money will come back which it pretty much did um you know fuel was another area where it just went off the charts um and fortunately in a lot of cases we had uh, fuel surcharges in place so that managed really well but we also had a lot of situations where we didn't where we had to put them in place because we were just getting upside down so um on the pool distribution side, that that's what we saw on the warehouse side. It was interesting as well because uh, you know we went to you know more or less zero percent capacity, particularly here in Southern California, but throughout the nation with warehouse space. Oh, wow. And so we were getting you know we we have a you know a warehouse in in, in Chino um, where we've got a couple clients, and you know one of the clients I think you know had roughly two thousand pallets, and, and the warehouse like look. You gotta like pare down this inventory. Right. You know this doesn't work space, anymore. Like right. we don't have space, and and <laughs> so, you know you got seven hundred pallets that just aren't turning, and you know the days of twelve bucks a pallet for storage just don't fly. When leases went up, you know from I think the lease raise went, and this is kind of anecdotal, but yeah, eighty ninety cents a foot to two fifty a foot in, oh, wow. in two three years. Not not everywhere, but those yeah. were the kind of the, the numbers that we saw. Um, and again, same thing where we, there used to be flex staff available. So, you know, Mondays typically is a busy warehouse days because you have all the orders that come in over the weekend, at least on the consumer side. Um, and so you'd flex staff on Monday to have extra people to get those orders out if you had, you know, 400 orders instead of a normal 200, for example. And, and all of a sudden that poof went away. <laughs> um, and so we're just trying to get orders out. And, you know, and, and the, the same warehouse, they told us a story how, you know, they had an employee that they hired. and said he was going to the bathroom and literally just never came back. And that, that was like a common occurrence, right? That, that they would just do that because again, they could walk across the street and get another job. So um, again, you know, a lot of rate increases in managing that, but um, 
the other interesting part from my perspective on it was there was also challenges in getting new business because what we saw a lot of was that if 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 prospective clients were doing well and you know maybe they thought they were going to grow five percent in in 2021 or 2022 but you know the supply chain surge consumer spending is way up and so they're going nine percent and so if they're having issues with their their distribution partner their their 3pl vendor whatever you know even if they're causing them headaches if the gross area you know you don't really want to unplug that and go through all the change management to switch to a new vendor because it takes a lot of time and energy there's technology involved a lot of people involved and so just we, we saw a lot of prospective clients that we knew were having issues that were not making decisions on a change. Um, and that's one of the interesting things that we see kind of now and going forward where the future's a little less certain, you know, you know, one day you read that inflation's under control, the next day it isn't, you know, we're in a recession, we're not in a recession. So I think there's a little more uncertainty and we're seeing a lot of, particularly kind of on the bigger client side, on our distribution side, a lot of people thinking, okay, now's the time to look at that bottom 10% of my uh, vendor pool and think where can we improve costs, improve service, and, and streamline the supply chain. So, so we're seeing kind of a trade-off now in that regard. Got it. Who, who is your ideal client? Someone that admits that they have problems and are open to solving them mm. and kind of want a long-term relationship. Um, you know, we don't want business that we're going to onboard run for 6, 12 months and, and then have it go somewhere else. We want someone who's saying... Um, yeah, it's not working. We're open to change. And we always ask the question, like, look, if there's a time where, you know, on the distribution side where we have to get the freight by a certain time or it has to be delivered by a certain time, tell us. We want to know. If there's if there's absolute parameters, tell us. But we also want to understand, you know, are these rest of the rest of your processes, are they absolute or is that just what you're used to? Um, because if you're open-minded, hey, if we can pick up the freight an hour earlier, I can do it for 20% cheaper because we can combine it with this other freight or, or, you know, I know you're used to doing it this way, but if you consider using maybe some of our technology and, and, and produce these types of labels, you know, it's amazing how many clients we talk to or prospective clients that don't know their own data. They don't know how many, you know, how many deliveries they're doing a day or how many pieces or what's the frequency of going to certain locations. And so say, if you guys are open-minded to, you know, a little bit of different process and you know we can build a lot of this to really you know make it kind of idiot proof um we can fix these things so the client that says yeah i'm 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 listening is usually the good one the one that says here are the parameters give me a bid i'll let you know if you won i would say almost every time we either don't participate or we spend very little time on because that's you know we're, we're not good at being kind of a a slave to just the way we're, you know, one of our <clears throat> kind of core philosophies and part of our culture is, is continuous improvement. You know, we're doing the same thing every week. So if it's not working, we want to fix it. We don't want to sure. keep pounding our head against the wall. And so we're always looking for ways to improve things. And, and we're lucky that we have some clients that actually just works kind of well and it's pretty smooth. And, you know, we check in with them, you know, once a, a year, once a quarter, whatever it is. And they're like, I don't know why you flew out here. It's fine. And I really appreciate those, but, but you never know and life changes. But, and then we have others that, you know, we tried this, it didn't work. We tried that and, you know, it, it takes some time, but we want those that are just, you know, kind of focused on let's get to the point where we almost never speak. Got it. I love it. Is it important for you guys to diversify or do you just stay within that medical niche? Um, yes and no. You know, I feel like that's the answer to every question I talk about on both sides of my mouth, right? Um, but, uh, you know, again, rewind the clock a handful of years ago when we were, you know, trying to also sell truckload, LTL, um, you know, we do some air freight and we were really marketing kind of every one of these services, kind of all things to all people to try to grab volume and grow. And we decided a handful of years ago, look, we're, we're, we think we're really good at this kind of pool distribution, again, not pool equipment, yeah. uh, not, not milk. Um, we, we think we're really good at this, this milk run type recurring processes because we're, we're organized, we're disciplined, we've got technology to support us. So, you know, we can, we can manage to exceptions, right? It's supposed to work this way. So if there's an exception, we're dealing with that. Um, 
And, and we thought the warehousing fulfillment space was a space where we could leverage our tech infrastructure and our tech team and our customer service model um, and kind of our vendor relationship model, which is a really, you know, we, we, we talk about this. We haven't talked about it much today, but the importance of how we treat our vendor partners, mm. because if we don't treat them like clients, you know, we're only as good as they are. Right. And, and part of our magic is, is having a bunch of these longstanding relationships, paying people on time and being a good client to them because we package up the business really nicely for them. You know, we kind of, uh, I like to say act as a shock absorber, if you will. So, you know, client asks for a hundred things and we kind of whittle that down. Okay. These are the couple things you need and, and we'll go to the vendor and be like, just, just do this. We'll, we'll handle the rest and vice versa. And so we thought anyway, going back that warehouse space was where we could leverage those skills. And we kind of said, let's just play in those two spaces. We can't be all things to all people. If a, if a warehouse client says, Hey, you know, we need to ship this pallet from uh, LA to Sacramento can you just get us right and do it? We're happy to do that, but we don't lead with that. It's more of an ancillary service we can provide. Um, same on the truckload side. If we're doing distribution and a client says, you know, we'd prefer it if you just pick it up from our distribution center, we're happy to do that. But if they want to drop it and we just take it from the point where it hits the hub and we break it down and distribute it, that's fine too. So we really focus from a service perspective on those two areas um, in terms of Going to your other side of the, that question with, in terms of where we're focused on clients, we love the pharmacy business, um, particularly the grocery store pharmacy. Um, I personally don't like shopping at all. Uh, anyone who knows me knows I don't like shopping, <laughs> but the one place I actually really enjoy going is the grocery store. Okay. Uh, and I'm not saying that means everyone does, but I feel like you know people still, you know, when you're cooking a meal, you know, maybe you want to pick out the meat, the vegetables, the fruit, or whatever. There's certain things where there's some value in going the store, you know. I know some people get their groceries delivered, but I don't think that's going to totally change. And so um, as long as people are going in the grocery store, I think those pharmacies within the grocery store have a uh, unique advantage. Um, and so we've had some good success in that space. Now, that doesn't mean we only go after grocery store pharmacies, but that just happens to be an area we really like. Um, Retail is another area we really like. And then the area we haven't spoken about that's a little bit niche for us that actually we like is uh is the library business the library business business. so 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 we are we are we are supporters of of libraries which is kind of interesting in the world we live in today with book bans it it takes on a, a you know more unique conversation but uh but um Early on, we won a contract, and I guess uh, my predecessors had some of this business, but we do an uh, interlibrary loan okay. uh, for library networks, uh, you know, many either state, you know, regional county library networks. So, um, you said interlibrary, <clears throat> library loan. So, for example, um, you know, the state of Tennessee is a client of ours. Uh, we've been very lucky to have them as a client uh, for a while. So, there's about 200 or so libraries within their network within the state, and it's it's kind of city county libraries, uh, you know, university libraries, et cetera, and they resource share. So you walk into your local library and you want Moby Dick and they don't have it, but they say, you know, the library 40 miles away does, and they can put in a request to, to have Moby Dick sent to the other library and it's okay. on loan. Okay. And so we're basically going to all these locations on a recurring schedule. Some libraries, maybe it's five days a week, others, maybe it's only one or two days a week. And we're both picking up books, primarily books, it could be, you know, other resources that they have within the library um, that need to be distributed to other libraries. So we're getting it, sorting it, and then delivering it to those other libraries and vice versa. And so, um, and and actually library usage in the last handful of years has, has really been growing for a variety of reasons, not so much that people are necessarily going there just to, to pick up a book, but, you know, they're going to use the computers, uh, you know, they're going there just to have a place to go work that's maybe air conditioned or whatever it is so uh, library usage library cards etc have been really up so uh, i admit we're we're proud to provide that service and support that library business you know is that going to scale like if we were delivering every walmart in the country (laughs) no um but we've found that those relationships tend to be pretty good those are good clients um and you know we've picked up a, a number of those around the country over the years and uh really like that space that's pretty interesting. So, who's picking that? Like, are you picking up picking that up in like a car or like a? Um, mostly vans, and again, occasionally box trucks. I mean, there's yeah. some real volume. Some of these libraries, say, it's significant. Okay, it, it's significant. I mean, you know, I'd say on the typical is we're picking up a hand, maybe some pouches. 
you know, so these are like those vinyl pack patches that probably used to be used, uh, like going, you know, like the banks of those canvas pouches and they'll put, you know, so this pouch will be going to this library. This one will go to that. And then we throw them in, in, uh, you know, plastic totes and move them around like that. But there can be, you know, some of these big libraries, these big kind of university or, or city libraries, it's pretty significant. Wow, that, that's very interesting. I've never heard of that before. That's yeah. pretty cool. What, what, is, what is your growth, uh, you know, what, what are you looking for in terms of growth for the next three to five years? What are your plans? We want to grow. I mean, that is, that is our, you know, we talk about our, our top focus for the next few years, and it's, you know, grow, 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 and grow. And what um, does growth mean, I guess? That's yeah, a better question. Yeah, um, you know, we've, you know, maybe even going back a, a moment, you know, to kind of the issues over the last three to five years, hiring was a big one. Um, you, know, you talk about the drivers and the hourly workers and all that, but but also within this office, we, we really had a tough time. Um, we, we had a open two sales positions and an IT position, both open for about a year, where we just really struggled, uh, you know, to get people. You know, we had, you know, people not showing for interviews. It was, you know, kind of the great uh, resignation or whatever. Um, and so we were very fortunate earlier this year. I think we finally got some momentum back. And it seemed like people not only want to work again, people want to come into the office again. And, and I'm a big believer of the value of being in the office and that, you know, when you have that, you know, you probably even saw some of it here earlier where we have those little kind of water cooler type conversations sure. and like little things that you wouldn't necessarily pick up the phone and call someone when they're at home that we get done. And so in the, in the first part of this year, we finally, I think, kind of got the team built out that we have been trying to fill for a while. And so we've got a really good infrastructure operationally, um, you know, kind of processes and all that. And so now it's like, finally, we feel like we're spending the money, you know, so we can start to see that ROI come. And, and so, you know, we're doing it through, you know, adding new people, you know, more feet on the street from a sales perspective, um, building relationships, uh, as I told you, half our office is out, you know, yeah. three different client <laughs> locations, uh, or prospective client locations today. Um, so it's just building because it's a long sales cycle in our business. Frankly, it, it's it's a relation. You know, I mean, we say it's it's you know six months to twelve months typically, but oh, wow. we've had a handful of clients where it's you know we kind of that was a three year process. Maybe you know bid something three years ago, didn't win it. Maybe right. it didn't go well. A couple of years later, we bid it again and get you know second bite at the apple. How long are the contracts um, or the agreement? <laughs> Well, I'm not a lawyer, but I'd say if you really looked as a lawyer, you know, they're 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 good one day at a time. I mean, <laughs> you're good as the last load. Yeah, you I mean, as long as you're doing a good job, they're fine. No, I think a lot of times we t we sign kind of one, two, three year contracts. Okay. But the truth is, if you need to get out, you'll get out. We hope right. that never happens. Yeah. Um, and we also it works both ways. That if you're doing a good job, they tend to get renewed and and continue. Um, but uh, I think in terms of growth, look, I think we really want to. Um, we're being more selective on the warehouse side. Part of that's just, you know, while, while capacity is loosening up a bit, it's still really tight out there. And so we're being a little more selective. I think we spent a lot of time last year. Um, if someone wanted to do business with us, we just like, we just jumped and, yeah, you know, jump how high. Right. And, and I think now we're thinking, okay, let, let's make sure there's a client that, that really wants to scale. Because our whole model on the warehouse side is we're here to help you scale. If, if you don't want to do that, don't come to us. We're here to make the processes, put things in place. I hate to say it, but a, a perfect warehouse customer will grow them for a handful of years. And if we really do a good job, they'll go get their own warehouse. You know, And we don't want to lose them, but that means we did our job. Yeah. Um, so we're being much more selective, probably going after a little larger accounts, frankly. Uh, just because of the time and effort it takes in that space. And on the distribution side, we are definitely, um, you know, really focused on building relationships with kind of national players, national retailers. And we've been, you know, making a more dedicated effort in that regard. Um, you know, it, it's... I'll say it's it's a challenge. You know, we I try to hire here to uh, for my weaknesses, right? You know, to hire people who are good at what I don't do. You know, I, I love being in the room um, with a prospective client to try to sell them on why XPAC and what we can do and try to close a deal. But I'm not really good at chasing people down and trying to get that first introduction and, and in that room. So, so I've tried to really hire people who can do more of that and and as well as you know more operational support. So. Uh, <clears throat> For example, you know, Jeff Mech, our, our, our COO, our head of operations, you know, it, it, I, we kind of feel if, if the two of us can get in the room with one of our salespeople that 
if we get to that point, we're, we're in a good spot because yeah. we know how to get it done. And we've got a lot of testimonials where they said like, wait, wow, you guys actually did what you said we were going to do. Isn't that the whole idea? But yeah. apparently it doesn't always work that way. I'm, I'm interested in that because it seems like you guys kind of like your approach is you're going to educate your customers on how to do things more efficiently. Right. So what does a typical 3PL do that you guys that what are they doing that? What are you guys doing that everybody else is not doing? Right. Like what are the extra things that you're doing to bring value to those customers from an educational standpoint and from a. Um, like building like that infrastructure for them, helping them yeah, build their infrastructure. I out. think I think it's probably a couple of things. And admittedly, there are some larger customers. I, you know, again, we used to do work for Walmart, for example. They're pretty smart they too. <laughs> you know, Amazon. We we yeah, did a lot of work yeah. for Amazon. They tell you what to do, yeah, and yeah. and that's okay. You know, if they pay you a fair price and and they're not being unreasonable, that's fine. But I think the two areas where we really differentiate. I think one really is our customer service model when we've got a process in place because mistakes happen. I mean, it could be weather related, a vehicle could break down. It could be like we missorted something and really did something wrong. It could be the client sent us the wrong things. You know, we've, we've had clients who sent us pallets of boxes with no joke, no labels, Wow. just like boxes and and we're like, what, yeah, what, what, what is this? What do we do? And so, you know, anytime there's an issue and it could be, you know, the, the, the driver keeps showing up smelling like cigarettes and we don't like it to, you know, they're late. I mean, it could be a, a little issue big. We say, please tell us whether you call us or email us, you know, customer service at expat.com. All that gets logged, tracked. Um, we review it you know, every week, if not more frequently. And so we're saying, oh, you know, three Mondays in a row, you know, we're having late deliveries here. Okay, do we need to change the routing? Do we, you know, do we have, oh, it's that driver only works on Mondays. Maybe we need a new driver there, whatever it is. And so I think I'd like, the way we view it is we see things through. We don't think, oh, I forgot that they called and complained. Or, you know, we connect the dots on these things. And, And I think we're just disciplined in that way. And, and I always say, look, we're going to make mistakes. We're not perfect. But what I think you'll see from us is that over time, things will continually progress and get better. You know, judge us if we're making the same mistake over and over. All right, guys. Truck and Hustle has now partnered with Transpo CFO, powered by Venning. Transpo CFO offers a streamlined monthly subscription for businesses to consolidate their accounting, payroll, and tax needs into one flat monthly rate, saving businesses a tremendous amount of time and money while making their financial operations much smoother for the long road ahead. Check out Transpo CFO in the description below and tell them Truck and Hustle sent you. Now, let's get back to the show. You know. Don't judge us if we if we made one mistake because that will happen no matter who you are. Yeah, for sure. I love that. How many warehouses do you guys have now? Well, again, you know our model. We work with partners, but I think we've got around the country about ten active warehouses currently. You know, from East Coast, it's overweight to to Southern California and the West Coast, but uh, you know we're Texas, we're New Jersey, Ohio. California. Got it. So you, Arizona. you said you have partners. So how do you guys find those partners and how do you know if a, a warehousing partner is a good fit for you? Um, you know, it's a, it, it, we do a lot of work. We do the work and diligence and, and includes usually showing up and, and meeting with them. For us, and particularly on the warehouse side, again, you know, kind of different from the distribution side, but you know, on the warehouse side, you know, not all warehouses are the same. Some some are experts at you know fulfilling orders for big retailers that have very specific routing guides and and, and detailed instructions. If that pallet shows up with the label in the wrong place, they'll give you a chargeback. Clients don't like that, and so there's some that are really set up to do that kind of work. Others that you know are experts in in you know drop shipping, you know direct to consumer shipping, where you're just pulling a box, slapping a label. You got UPS, FedEx, USPS feeder trucks just waiting to go day in, day out. So so we really want to understand a client need and think, okay, what's the right fit? And that also could be geographically, right? If you're doing a lot of, uh, if you're doing a big volume of small parcel deliveries throughout the country, you know, it can get really expensive shipping the East Coast from California. Maybe you want to be in the Midwest somewhere, but, you know, there's also the balance of, of where that freight's coming from. Um, so there's the technical aspects like that. And then it's really just kind of, uh, kind of culture, personalities. Uh, I admit there's a lot of gut feel with kind of relationship building. Um, you know, I think a lot more and more relative to maybe 10 years ago when I got in this business, 
it's much more common for people like us, you know, essentially to be subcontracting uh, to another 3PL. Um, and so, I, you know, one is, hey, are you used to working with people like us or do you work direct with the customer? Or do you have a comfort level with that? We ask that all the time. Because if you don't, hey, you know, no big deal. There's plenty of fish in the sea. We'll go find someone else. Right. Um, but again, I think we like to believe that we package up clients. We, we, we do analytics on the data. So, you know, you know, a lot of time clients will say, okay, here's my data. And you find if you send that to, you know, again, there's some brilliant people out there. But if you send that to the average 3PL, I think it'll just sit on their desk. Like, what am I going to do with this? And, and maybe my background's a little unique that, that I'm, you know, I'm like the calculator jockey. I get all geeked out when I get to, like, get some Excel file that the sales team's like, can you figure this out for me? Like, I needed to have this, 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 and this, and uh, and I can kind of crunch the data, and then we can give that to someone and say, okay, we're going to simplify this data. We'll give you the whole package, but this is really what it's saying. This is what you need to know. This is what the, you know, the average, you know, deliveries or the average outbound volume looks like, um, and I think that's well received. So, uh, and again, I kind of came into this business where we had, you know, a handful of dozens. Of existing relationships from all the history of subcontracting we were doing so i think we had a good start um and now beyond that you know we use uh tools like salesforce mm. so we've got our own database every every vendor we meet you know we log it we track it we keep track of the relationships we keep track of every bid we send to them so if we see hey they're not bidding on things we may call them up and say look you know or go visit them You're like look we've been sending a lot of stuff are we just not hitting the mark you know, what do you want? So we have, we have a, you know, in-house, we have people who spend their day just building relationships and, and following up with these vendors because, you know, we all, our businesses all evolve. So what may have been true last year may have changed this year. And so always saying, you know, you know, what does your fleet look like or how big is your warehouse? How many dock doors do you have? Um, what's your ideal client? And, and we make notes on all that. And so when opportunities come, come our way, because, you know, we've got the sales engine that creates a lot of opportunities, we can kind of sit down, have a huddle and kind of go through our, our database and think, okay, who are the guys that this fits for? Yeah. You know, who are the guys who are looking for business? And, and I think, you know, it comes down then to timing, yeah. you know, that being, bringing the right opportunity at the right time. Got it. Talking about data, you, you, you're running a, a business with two different sides to it. What are the important, um, how do you measure things? What are important KPIs for you? What, what do you spend your time looking at at a high level? Yeah. Um, you know, for us, it's, it's really a lot about trends. trends. So I think that more than, it, you know, particularly on distribution side, it's if we're missorting things, if we're late delivering, um, you know, God forbid if we lose a box or a pallet, I don't think we've lost a pallet, but, um, you know, those are the kind of things that, you know, we need to really understand, investigate what's happening. Um, you know, on-time performance is, is something I think everyone talks about, and, and we do too. You know, you can't keep showing up late. Um, but a lot of times, sometimes, you know, there's that paralysis by analysis where you can run a report and see, well, we're supposed to be at 99.5%, and we were at 992 And, you know, I, I think we want to, we don't necessarily want to command a committee to go investigate that, you know, like our Congress does for every single issue. Sometimes it's like, hey, you know, okay, well, there was a hurricane. Um, and so we try to be practical about how we look at that. And admittedly, sometimes if we're a little late, you know, we put some penalty clauses in a lot of our contracts. We're, we're, I'll say we're very open to that and be like, look, it's going to happen if you want to ding us a little bit. I'd almost rather just make you happy and, and give you a couple bucks back um, and knowing that as long as we're not doing it repeatedly. But so I, I think it's really those those key criteria that can cause real headaches that we look at. Um, and, and there's a gentle side to this, but we also look, uh, you know, a lot of times we get freight from clients late. So we track those kind of things too. Like, oh, you sent us boxes with no labels. Uh, um, you know, the line hall is supposed to arrive at 4 a.m. at our hub, and it's been arriving at 5.30. Um, so we're looking at, you know, all those kind of analytics, our customer service operations team. I mean, this is what they do week in, week out. Um, on the warehousing side, it's probably a little more volume driven and just making sure that that things are getting out on time. Yeah. Like, you know, that, that if, if orders are placed in each warehouse, a little different, but orders in before call at 11 a.m., they should be out the door that day and making sure those things happen. And again, when that doesn't happen, you know, that's where we have our team that, 
you know, whether we're hopping in a car, hopping on a plane or getting on the phone, you know, going out there and going, what's going on, guys? And we kind of act as a, you know, a little bit of a concierge on behalf of our client to figure these things out and provide that support. And I mean, I think each one of us at one point maybe even has gone to a facility and moved boxes, packed boxes, <laughs> you know, whatever it takes in those times of crises where someone just needs a little help until things get back on track. Yeah, talk to me about the team. You said, I know you have, you said about nine people. We have nine people in here, this office. In this yes. office. So what, what are those roles? Are those mainly sales roles or? Um, it's a mix. So we've got uh, kind of our head of operations uh, as well as our, our director of operations. So those are kind of the two guys uh, that sit and kind of oversee our customer service team, our IT team. Uh, as well as manage our vendor relationships from a day-to-day -day operational perspective. So again, you know, we've got, it could be weekly, monthly, you know, if you're doing really well, maybe you have a monthly call. If you're not doing so well, maybe you're having a weekly or a daily call with, with our team yeah. as to what's going on and going through the, the reports and the KPIs and all those things. And so they're managing all that. And again, very routine process oriented, you know, uh, we, we love nothing more when it's a scheduled call and the vendor gets on, it's like, do we need to have a call? And we're like, you guys got anything? No. All right, we're good. Which means everything's going great, and, right. and that's fine. Um, we've got uh, you know three people from our customer service team that that are in here. Um, not necessarily every day. I mean, some day they, their days start at you know four a.m. So their days, excuse me, where uh, maybe they will work from home, and we've got kind of a, a staggered schedule in that regard. Um, then we've got our sales team. Uh, we've got three people on our sales team here that are in the office, uh, and me. Our, our finance accounting team is in Colorado. Um, and then we've got, uh, I think, eight or nine um, IT personnel that are scattered around the globe. Mm, got it, yeah. got it. What are, what are some of the things that keep you up at night? What what can go wrong? What, what worries you? What do you have to always stay on top of? <sighs> you know, I think where, where I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve is in the sales process, you know, because we, you know, particularly on these larger deals, um, where it's very binary, you kind of win or lose. It's not like you're bidding for, you know, X number of deliveries or stops or locations. And and you're like, well, you bid for fifty, but we're giving you five. It's usually it's fifty or none. <laughs> and so, particularly right. when when we have a good bid, because there's so many factors that go into this. Again, you got to kind of be there, price to stay in the game, and then. You know, sometimes it's just, you know, a client doesn't know you. So you have to kind of lose once or twice to eventually win it. So I definitely, when we have big opportunities out there, I, I'm, you know, my, I probably drive my team crazy. I'm thinking, <laughs> what can we do? Right. Should we, you know, should we call them again? Do we not? Like, I want to be deliberate in what we do. So if we're not going to call, I want to be like, because we feel that would, that would only hurt us. The best thing to do is just sit here and, you know, go watch sports on TV or <laughs> do something to distract you. Yeah. Um, that's really that gets me churning. I mean, I'm very lucky that, and it took some time, but you know, again, we're, we're, we're culture and mission focused. So we've got a team here that I think we're all aligned. We all want the same things. Uh, you know, we've got team goals, company goals, bonuses associated with that. We're all kind of driving for the same results. So, you know, and we really try to empower the team. And when I hire someone to do something, you know, obviously we, we communication is key. So I like having, you know, checking in, um, on whatever we're working on to think, okay, you know, where are we? Do we need to repivot or do something differently? Um, but, uh, you know, I like my team. I'm, I'm grateful for the team. So I don't sp really stay up at night worrying about what they're doing. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's the, sh is there something we should be doing? Something you can do more. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Al I'm always thinking that way. Are you guys, you, you guys are constantly looking for new business, right? Is that like constantly. an ongoing thing? You're always new RFPs, like, is that? It, it never ends. It doesn't stop. It, it never ends. <laughs> Maybe between Christmas and New Year's sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we are, we are absolutely, and, and, and to be fair, maybe there was a point where we will, when we were lightly staffed and we were having trouble filling positions, yeah. maybe we turned it down a little because, you know, the last thing we want to do is win business and screw it up. And so we probably were a little slower um, at that point, but right now we're full steam ahead. You right. know, if, if we're fortunate enough, you know, uh, to earn a, a big account, you know, maybe we'll shift some resources and not try to bring three of those on at once. Um, and we say this, by the way, to clients all the time, I, you know, it's kind of a tangent, but you know, if we're bidding business, sometimes clients will have national RFPs. And so they'll be, you know, there's 20, 40 markets to bid. Yeah. And we'll say, look, we just want one. We want to prove ourselves. Cause if we're in the door and we're doing a good job, 
all these other opportunities will come again and we'd rather prove it figure out the kinks and so we can replicate it elsewhere say like you know if you want to give us all 40 markets frankly i'd be concerned you know i'm not sure that like i would never advise someone to do that right throw your eggs in one basket yeah got it got it what do you do for personal development as a as a leader um and this is again it's it's an evolution um uh, I've been really in the last few years as we've tried to grow the business, you know, I try to be objective and think, you know, uh, and get out of my comfort zone and, and not, you know, just be a slave to the same things. Um, um, so I've definitely started reading more in the last couple of years. Um, in fact, uh, I read one book called Make Your Bed, uh, which is uh, by a retired uh, Navy admiral. Um, who gave this speech at the University of Texas, I guess, a few years ago and, and converted into a book, which was, I think, the it was either 10 or 12 kind of lessons of a Navy SEAL that can apply to anyone. Yeah. And, and the first lesson is make your bed, start your day with a completed task. And, and it resonated with me because uh, I actually make my bed um, <laughs> because I just don't like coming home. It's just that's important. For me. I, I don't I just need kind of order. And, you know, that way I can move on to the next thing. And, and it's a really short book. Um, it's a really easy read. Um, and I, I should say, I read a lot of audiobooks. And so after I read it, I thought it was great. And so the kids were in the car, my kids were in the car with me one day, and I just started playing it for them. Mm. And we got like a chapter in, and I, we, we got out of the car and then got back in the car. And one of the kids was like, are you putting the book back on? You know, I didn't say a thing. I just started playing it. And I was yeah, like, all right, interesting. Cool. And so it resonated with them. So I give it to every employee when they start here. Um, and I say, here's a book. It's not required reading. Uh, this is not an assignment. I just think it's really interesting. If you do read it, I'd love to hear your reflection on it. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting. You kind of tell the people who come back a week later who kind of are like, oh, I love this chapter. You know, they tend to be the employees that work out really well, you know. <laughs> so, so reading is one. Um, I definitely think I, uh, I've, I've tried to take more risks, not reckless, foolish risks, but I've been more open-minded to taking risks, like, you know, and just, you know, just, uh, I give one example. I, I uh, last year, uh, again, another Navy SEAL correlation. I'm in no way capable of being a Navy SEAL, <laughs> but uh, um, had an opportunity to jump out of an airplane with a Navy SEAL. Okay. And uh, I said I did it for one simple reason, and that's because I was scared to do it. And so I wanted to kind of just face yeah. it and do it and be like, you know, I knew it'd be okay yeah. and have that feeling of, you know, what you think might be on the other side isn't necessarily there. So take a chance and, and trying to, and I'm not telling everyone here to go jump out of an airplane, but I've, I've been trying to encourage people to think like that. Right. Like, you know, take a risk. I'd almost rather you, you touch the stove and get burned and learn the lesson from it than, than come to me and, and ask for permission to do everything because we just, we're not going to advance. So, so maybe a little bit of that mindset has, has, has probably played into it, my, my thought process a little bit. Got it. I love it. Uh, as we approach like the fourth quarter of the year, have you guys met your targets in terms of revenue goals and so forth? And what are you projecting for next year? Uh, to be transparent, we haven't yet, but it's still well in play. Uh, <laughs> we've got a lot going on here. So I think it'd be, you know, we, uh, we had a great year last year. Um, we're having a good year this year. Uh, we brought on some new business. We're, we've been fortunate we retain pretty much all our business, but we set our sights pretty high this year, and I think we still have a good shot. And uh, and uh, you know, as far as we're concerned, we still plan to get there. We just got to really kind of grind here going into Q4 and, and get our wins. Um, and um, and we'll probably have a, a similar lofty goal for next year. You know, to me, it's it's just not if but when. Yeah. Just you know, let's just keep doing it and and good things will happen. What's the number? What's the number? Yeah. Uh, well, right. I, I, the team idea. knows. I probably don't say that. Out you you won't share? Okay. No, yeah. no worries. I, I got to yeah. ask. I got to yeah. ask. All right, cool. Um, as we begin to wrap, um, we always kind of wrap the episode with two things. Number one, we need, want everybody to know where they can connect with you and learn more about yourself. Like where, where's your best social media platform, LinkedIn or whatever. And then we always end with the final thought. And that's something that's uh, spiritual, entrepreneurial, anything you want to leave the audience with. So what is the best place where people can uh, reach out to you and connect with you personally and learn more about XPAC? Uh, certainly LinkedIn. Uh, you can email me directly at mkraus, M-K-R-A-U-S at xpac.com. That's E-X-P-A-K. Um, anytime. I'm, I'm always happy to hear from people. Um, we have a social presence, as I said, on LinkedIn and Instagram. I admit, I don't really hang on social too much. Uh, I've got three teenage kids, so I, I see the other side of that. I'm trying to balance that out. Um, 
but uh, but we'd love to hear. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in that a lot of what we do here from a business personal, it's all based on relationships. Um, and so uh, my girlfriend always says, you know, I don't want to say I never say no to an opportunity to go have lunch with someone, but uh, you just never know what it's going to bring. So, so we're always happy to hear from people. That's right. And a final thought, what would you want to leave the audience with? And it could be from anywhere, whatever comes to, comes to mind first. That's a good question. <laughs> you know, I just say, uh, at least for the vast majority of us, you know, we don't have it all figured out. Um, so just, you know, you got to kind of believe in what you're doing and do it your way. In fact, I'll, I'll kind of add to that, that, you know, when we talk as a group uh, about how to approach any particular deal or opportunity and maybe we come up with a, you know, kind of a plan, I'm always very clear to, to tell whomever's going to kind of reach out to that prospective client or whatever. Look, at the end of the day, I'm not going to script this for you because it won't be authentic, right? You know, you got to you got to kind of you know what we're trying to get to. Use your words, do it your way, um, be your authentic self. I know that's kind of a cliche, <laughs> but I believe in it. Um, you know, I really believe that that people want to do business with us because of you know the integrity and the culture of the people here, um, and you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. So I think if we're, if everyone's trying to, you know, copy what the other people are doing, my view is that doesn't work. So, you know, we operate, uh, you know, we like to think at a high level of integrity. We're transparent, we're good communicators. And uh, I think that that goes a long way in the long run. We're long-term players. I love it. I got another question, actually. What's the exit look like for you guys? Have you ever thought um, building this business to sell or what's your thoughts around it you know absolutely you know i'd say when i first got in here i just wanted to kind of do this forever maybe and oh, i'm not sure you know the kids need to earn it so that's a whole nother conversation but you know maybe someday that like you know get passed down but yeah. but um you know i've had a few chapters in my life i've been very lucky in some of the experiences i've had and i, I think there's probably another chapter on the back end of this that's maybe something else for me so i love my business uh, I love the people I work with. I love what we do. I still, you know, you know, get really excited showing up every day. But I do think, you know, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if it's in two years or five or seven years, but there's probably an exit down the road, really just to enable me to maybe do something else. You know, I've I've been fortunate to do a little bit of kind of ad hoc teaching earlier in my career, and okay. I, I coached all my kids, and so maybe you know, some type of giving back and, and doing something that maybe has a different kind of emotional fulfillment might be in the cards. So uh, a sale would be more to enable that than to leave the business. Mm, got you. What about any acquisitions? Have you guys made any acquisitions? We have not. And and that was, you know, probably deliberate. I come out of the acquisition business. Yeah, I was um, thinking and I think it was, you know, we broke this business down to build it up back in 2012, 13 and, and you know, in those early years. And so we got smaller, you know, a lot quicker before we got bigger. And then we kind of built it up, sold off a, another couple pieces. So we went down again, and now we've been growing it. And so we are just about at the size I wanted to get to in terms of organic growth, where I thought we could start to add some acquisitions. So we've actually, this year, we picked up the pace in terms of looking. Um, haven't quite found the right thing. It's, it's a little tricky in one respect in that we don't really want to get back into that asset business. So yeah. that narrows uh, the field. Yeah, I, you know, there's definitely, you know, kind of, let's just say brokerage business out there. Okay. Um, and I think for us, you know, where I think we get a little wary is, you know, we're not really set up to be like booking, for example, LTL loads day in, day out, you know, like a dispatch, you know, system, you know, we're more managed transportation. So I think those type of brokerages that have kind of repeat business clients that are doing the same thing every week is very attractive to us. Um, I think the warehousing space is an area where we'd probably be a little more willing to take on assets. You know, I'd probably, I'm much more comfortable having a facility than a bunch of vehicles. Mm. Um, so that's another area. And we've looked at some uh, a couple kind of technology plays that maybe are adjacent to our services that we could provide clients. So this is a little bit not new in terms of doing acquisitions, knowing how to do them, but in terms of thinking what fits. This has been kind of the new conversation in the last kind of three to six months that we're starting to step up. But uh, I would expect that sometime in the next year or so there'll be an acquisition for us. 
Got it. Got it. All right, man. Um, I appreciate your time and the conversation. It was amazing learning about XPAC and, and yourself and what you guys are doing. Um, Hustle fam, you know what we do around this time. If you smell something burning, it's only a desire. Myself and Mr. Michael Krause from XPAC Logistics, we are out. If you twisted, confused, or stuck about trucks, don't be dumb. This is the place to come. Truck and Hustle. Let's go! Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analysts at Lachifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics than hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts.